0: Thank you, Brenton. Thank you, worship team. Good morning. Good morning. Well, turn your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 3. And um, also, if you don't have any notes, just uh, could you raise your hands and we'll make sure that the ushers will get you the notes. If you don't have any notes, just uh, raise your hands. Okay, we got one individual over here. And also, there should be a, an, uh, a pink handout it says uh, prayer, how to prayer read the scripture on there as well. So if you, so if you don't have that, just raise your hand as well, and uh, we'll get those to you as well. Revelation chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your presence. Father, we thank you for your nearness. Lord, we ask you, Lord, in the next uh, few moments, Lord, that you would open up our eyes to your law. Lord, to see glorious and marvelous things. And Father, we ask you that you would uh, cause the glory of your Son to rise like the morning star upon our hearts. Give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Well, the Lord's speaking to the church of Laodicea. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. It's a glorious invitation that the Lord puts before the church of Laodicea after he spoke some very pointed and strong corrective words to the church after, after the, the correction, the rebuke, he puts an absolutely amazing invitation, a glorious invitation and promise before his people. The Holy Spirit in paragraph A, the Holy Spirit in the context of our spiritual family, as well as other settings uh, in the nation and in the nations of the earth, is drawing many into a conversation. The Holy Spirit is drawing us into a conversation to put before us a deeper vision to, to go after the first commandment, uh, to love God with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, that no matter what walk of life you're in, that if you name the name of Jesus and you're born again by his spirit, he's inviting every believer into that conversation. It's a conversation that's been going on for, for decades. But as time unfolds, the Lord is drawing more and more of his people into this conversation, into this, this dialogue. And that's what I think of partly what it means when he says, I will come and dine with you. I want to I I bring you into a dialogue. I want to bring you into a conversation. Now, when we're talking about the table of the Lord... The table of the Lord is a place where we learn, where we receive and express God's love to God, and we learn how to express God's love to others. That's one of the main things that happens at the table of the Lord. Again, it's where we learn about God's love. It's where we receive God's love. It's where we experience God's love, and where we express love back to God, and we express love to others. One another. Jesus prophesied to the nation of Israel, in Matthew 22, verse 37, 38. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, over the years, paragraph B, over the years, the Lord has spoken through various vessels about how the church in this hour is overcome by a lukewarm spirit. And by lukewarm spirit, I mean that which is described in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 18. <clears throat> Revelation 3, verses 15 and 18, just breaks down the components of what it means to be overcome by a lukewarm spirit. But to put it more plainly, a lukewarm spirit is where our spirits are dull and where there is boredom that has settled in to our hearts, where we're not reaching internally for the deeper things of the Lord. And even more intensely, Jesus tells the church to lay the seed that they're blind. In other words, they were not even aware of that condition. I'll continue here in paragraph B. The lukewarm spirit is seeking to do the works of the kingdom. Our works of the kingdom, whether it is our personal obedience, as well as ministry works. So it's a seeking to do the works of the kingdom through self-reliance and self-sufficiency that results in living a life disconnected from God's love and deep fellowship with him. I'll say this again. That the lukewarm spirit is seeking to do the works of the kingdom, through self-reliance and self-sufficiency that results in living a life disconnected from the realm of God's love and disconnected from fellowship with the Lord. A simple way to say uh, doing the works of the kingdom by self-sufficiency and self-reliance is simply seeking to do the works of the kingdom without a uh, without being in dialogue with the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul to the church of Galatia, he tells them that he he brings a correction to them because they are trying to finish by the strength of the flesh what God had started by the power of the Holy Spirit. and That was part of the problem the church of Laodicea. It wasn't that they were not engaged in ministry activity. It wasn't that they were not engaged in church life and the and Christianity and whatnot, it was that they were doing it disconnected from the realm of God's love, disconnected from deep fellowship with God, which that produced all kinds of dynamics in their soul that they had become unaware of because they were not in that place of fellowship. <clears throat> Last week, uh, Isaac uh, gave a tremendous message on how this lukewarm spirit operates. I was tremendously blessed and touched by it. But when we're speaking of boredom, we're speaking of a restlessness and that produces all manner of emotional ailments in our hearts. And in the simplest ways, it is the feeling of heaviness and busyness. Both these dynamics, they keep us from connecting with the Lord in a deep and meaningful way unto a vibrant spirit being cultivated inside of us. Paragraph C, lukewarm spirituality is that which acclimates to the surrounding culture. Lukewarm spirituality is that which acclimates itself to the surrounding culture. Laodicea in the days of of the New Testament was one of the wealthiest cities in the Roman Empire, the city of great wealth, and it was also what was known as a free city. There were were certain cities in the Roman Empire that were given autonomy, and there were different levels of autonomy, uh, but some of them were as far as to where they could have their own laws they could have their own currency though they were under the supervision of the Roman Empire they were not under the direct leadership of the Roman Empire so there was a sense of deep liberty and independence within the city of Laodicea as well as great wealth and when we one takes a close look at revelation chapter 3 it becomes very clear that the culture of the city of Laodicea had begun to had begun to impact the spirituality of the church of Laodicea. And so when we're talking about a lukewarm spirit, we're talking about a spirit that acclimates itself to the context, the cultural context in which it lives. And the church in America is profoundly impacted by this spirit. The Laodicean spirit keeps us blind, unaware, and sluggish Sorry, it keeps us blind and aware and in a sluggish spiritual condition. Now, the Lord has a few million in this land who are fully devoted to him. So I'm not making a statement about every believer is under this condition. The Lord has several million that are deeply connected or deeply in the pathway of pursuing deep relationship with the Lord. However, the predominant narrative in the American church is a faith that provides and sustains the American dream as the highest. The predominant narrative in the church is a faith that provides and sustains the American dream as the highest. And the result of this is seeking to build the church that parallels the culture in many, many ways. And that's a a big subject, but what the Lord wants, the Lord wants to raise up a prophetic witness in every city of the earth, a body of believers in every city that stand as a prophetic witness of the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we have a church that is built in the manner of the culture, here's what it does. It doesn't produce disciples, with a primary vision to have deep fellowship with Jesus and a vibrant spirit as their inheritance. The Lord wants to raise up spiritual communities all across the earth that produce disciples with a primary vision to have deep fellowship with Jesus and a vibrant spirit and have a, have a vision to have a vibrant spirit as their inheritance. In other words, a community that are filled with people that are lovesick, as it says in Song of Solomon 2.5. Paragraph D, the good news is Jesus deeply loves his church. I mean, he has deep, profound, holy affections for his people. And he's knocking on the doors of our heart. Now, when the Bible says that Jesus is knocking, what I think it means is it's speaking of his wholehearted, persistent pursuit of his bride. When the Lord says, I'm knocking, I believe it speaks of his wholehearted, persistent, love-filled, filled with affection, persistent pursuit of us. Now, what does this knock look like? How do we know that the Lord is knocking on our hearts? Well, there's several ways. Uh, One of the ways that we know that he's knocking on our hearts is when all of a sudden we begin to experience small impulses of desire to seek him. It says in Psalm 27, verse 8, it says, when you said, seek my face, it says, my heart said, your face o oh lord i will seek And david say my heart began, began to talk my heart began to say things i'm just talking about small impulses i'm not talking about anything overwhelming i'm talking something that could even be fleeting just these 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 slight tugs on our hearts it says, you know i need to make a few adjustments to make space in my time and my schedule to to sit before the Lord and to be connecting with Him in a more meaning, meaningful, meaningful way. You know what? As I'm going about life in the highways and byways, I need to, I need to become a little bit more intentional about finding those windows to be in, whispering uh, to the Lord, small glances and whispers and phrases of adoration and love and inquiry of who He is. Another way that the knocks manifest, they manifest personally, number one. Number two, they manifest socially and globally as well. I believe that the current global shifts that are taking place are significantly related to Jesus knocking. Now, one of the things that's a little, um, I'm going to try to keep this as good news as possible, but I got to slip this one in there. The thing that's interesting about uh, uh, Revelation 3.20 is Jesus says, Behold, I stand in the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door. And and it hit me the other day, when I knock on someone's door, I don't knock with my voice. There's a a certain point in knocking when I start using my voice. (laughs) Right? Knock, knock. It go like this. It goes from this to knock, knock. Anyone there? Right? When you begin using your voice and knocking, somebody's not paying attention or somebody's not home. Right? But, right? And so this is a very intense statement that Jesus is making. In other words, it speaks of his wholehearted, persistent pursuit. He's knocking, and he's talking. Now, the global shifts that are happening, I believe, are significantly related to Jesus knocking on the doors of the church. It says in Daniel chapter 7 that by his spirit, he's going to stir the great sea. The great sea speaking of the nations. He's stirring the nations. He's stirring all manner of social, economic, political dynamics that are happening under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And what Daniel tells us is that the, one of the reasons why the Lord is stirring things among the nations is for, for two basic basic—it's many reasons, but two basic reasons for our purposes more morning. One is because he's setting the earth up for the kingdom of God to be established, number one. And number two, he's creating an environment where the body of Christ will be trained and equipped to rule and reign with Jesus when he returns. And that's what we find is why Jesus is knocking on the door of the church of Laodicea. He's saying, number one, I'm knocking on the door because I want to dine with you, verse 20, And I want to rule and reign with you, verse 21. And so when the Lord is knocking, he knocks personally, he knocks socially, and he knocks globally. Let's turn uh, turn to page 2. Jesus loves the church of Laodicea. He loves the church today that is overcome by a Laodicean spirit. In fact, he says it in verse 19. He says, as many as I love, as many as I am deeply committed to, have deep longings and desires for, he says, I rebuke and chase them. But the the point is is that he, he loves the church and then he says the next sentence, therefore, be zealous and repent. Another way to say it, he says, because I'm zealous for you, I want you to be zealous for me. And one of the ways that we grow in that zealous repentance actually is by seeing his zealous commitment towards us. Now, As we begin to respond to the Lord, the enemy seeks to assault our emotions with the lie that Jesus is postured towards us with an attitude of indifference and rejection. Again, another way to say the the Laodicean spirit is that it is a spirit of, of, of a sense of indifference on the inside. And the enemy comes alongside and says, the way that you feel about him is the way that he feels about you. And the Lord makes it very clear in in verse 19. He says, no, I love you. I love you. I am after you. I'm knocking. It is wholehearted. It is persistent. Therefore, be zealous and repent. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 25, the Apostle Paul has a, a very interesting phrase. He talks about God granting repentance. God granting repentance. And a prayer that I've been praying for my own life here in this season is, is say, Lord, will you grant me zealous repentance? Lord, grant me zealous repentance. If the church of Laodicea is a church that was seeking to obey God in their own strength, that we want to go the opposite direction and begin asking the Lord to help us in this particular way. I said, Lord, would you grant me zealous repentance? Lord, will you show me your love? Lord, thank you that you love me. Lord, would you begin to show me more of your love?" love? I love the prayer room. Just this morning, I was actually praying that prayer. I go, Lord, thank you that you love me. Show, your, show me your love. And then the singers begin to sing, uh, Lord, uh, help us to believe your love. Help us to receive your love. Help us. I, I go, this is great. The point is, is that the Lord is eager to be gracious and to help us respond to him in the way that he wants us to respond. Paragraph B. Jesus clearly declared his love and his desire for us to rule with him. Jesus is filled with deep desire for his church and he placed his request before the father to have a people who are filled with the same affection, commitment, and desire that the father has for his son. Father, I desire, John seventeen twenty six. I declared to them, your name, and I will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Beloved, we don't have to be intimidated by the lukewarm spirit. The first time I ran into this dynamic, I was 19 years old, and uh, uh, I kind of began kind of, you know, getting a vision for, okay, there's more to this Christianity thing than just going to church on a Sunday. There's actually a place where you can begin to meet and experience God. So here I'm 19 years old. I told one of my mentors that I'm going to take a bike, a couple of jugs of water, and a tent, and I'm going to go into the woods for three days and pray. And he said, you might want to kind of, slow down a little bit and you know maybe did that no no I'm going all the way. Well I didn't last five hours. (laughs) I mean that was I mean that was probably one of the most miserable times ever. You know, because I'm going, I mean, I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but I was expecting within a few hours or so, I mean, some wind, some fire, some angels, some, some perfume, some something, you know? <laughs> Instead, I got, I got a good dose of the depth of barrenness and, and, and anxiety that exists within my soul. It was
1: staggering.
0: I was like, this is horrible. Horrible. Me, my mind raising, my heart going all kinds of different places, my thoughts out of control, my stomach up in knots. I go, What is this? This is intense. And so uh, I went back to my apartment. I just didn't tell anybody I was back.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> For those who are watching now, they know. <laughs> But, uh, I, uh, but, you know, but since then, I, I, I personally have experienced that dynamics more times than I even care to admit. It's, it's a very real reality. And, and, again, you know, to hear more about it, it really is Isaac's message from last week. But here's what I'm trying to say. And some of you know what I'm talking about. this thing can be so powerful that it actually convinces you that it cannot be defeated. And I want to tell you this morning that simply based upon Jesus' request in John 17, 26, Father, I desire to have a people that love me with the same affection that you have towards me, that it would be in them towards me. Beloved, Jesus is going to have his purse entered. Jesus in Revelation 3, he tells the church to Laodicea, to him who overcomes. He, He gives us a mission. He gives us a promise, and in it lies the certainty that we do not have to be intimidated by a lukewarm spirit. You stand up against that thing by communing with the Lord, and it will tell you, you cannot defeat me. And beloved, I want to challenge that lie this morning. That we have a mission, and the uh, uh, a, uh, a mission and an assignment to overcome this thing. And here's how we overcome it: we overcome it by zealously repenting. Now, what's repentance? Repentance is several things, but I want to focus on on one aspect of repentance that rarely gets emphasized, and that is that repentance is where we begin to fill our minds with insight about God's love. It's changing the way that we think. Yes, it is changing our action as well. We're familiar with that one, but it's not enough to just change our actions. We have to change the way that we think. Filling our minds with insight about the love of God. And, and so when we're talking about coming to the table of the Lord, we're talking about uh, a coming before that place where we learn of God's love where we experience God's love, where we express God's love back to God, and we express God's love to one another. The opposite of a lukewarm spirit is yielding fully to the spirit's work as, as he places the first commandment in the first place. When Jesus returns, the global church will walk in the grace of the first commandment. Paragraph E, one of the primary spiritual crises that got exposed during the 2020 lockdown is boredom. One of the primary spiritual crises that got exposed during the 2020 lockdowns is boredom. And that's precisely why I believe that 2020 is part of the knock. It's because many were not aware of the depth of capacity of boredom until this lockdown happened. They went, oh my gosh, what is this? And and the Lord's going, I'm knocking. I'm I'm actually knocking. I'm, I'm helping you become aware of your condition. Now turn to me. Open your heart to me. Let's fellowship together. You open up your heart. I will come in. I will dine with you. And you will dine with me. Boredom can be defined as a weary restlessness connected with feelings of disinterest and indifference. Boredom is a deadly spiritual condition because it makes us vulnerable to other sources of satisfaction, in Jeremiah chapter two verse 13, I, I've, I've got two, two there, but it's supposed to be two thirteen. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, the, pro- the Lord tells the prophet, "For my people have committed two evils. Evil number one, they have forsaken me, and evil number two, they have provided for themselves other sources of satisfaction besides me." Paragraph F, many in the church are, are unaware of, the, of this incredibly glorious promise that lies before us. That Jesus really does provide an answer for the boredom. He really does provide an answer for the lukewarmness. And that is the revelation of his love, the invitation to dine with him, and the, and the promise that we would rule and reign with him in the age to come the revelation of his love, the invitation to have deep fellowship with him and the promise to rule and reign with him in the age to come. Jesus places the greatest invitation before the church, which again is to have the place of deep fellowship in this age as well as the age to come. However, the intimacy that awaits us in this life, that's what I, want, what I want to emphasize, the intimacy, beloved, that awaits for us in this life is profoundly beyond what we have now or have ever tasted. I love Psalm 36, verse 8. It's one of my favorite descriptions of the heart of God. as says, they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house and you gave them drink from the rivers of your pleasure. I love that phrase. That God's heart is like this flowing river filled with delight and pleasure, and it is available to us. It puts before us this vision that there is a place in God in this life where our souls are abundantly satisfied. By the presence of God. In fact, what is interesting is Psalm 90 verse 14, it actually defines God's mercy as that which satisfies us. Psalm 90 verse 14 says, oh, which is satisfy us early according to your mercy. That we may rejoice and be glad. Satisfy us with your mercy that we would have a vibrant spirit. That we would have a true sense of joy, a sense of contentment and well-being deep on the inside because we've been touched by your presence. Page three. The way forward to be set free from the Laodicean spirit and overcoming it, right? We want to be set free from it, and we want to overcome it. It says in Psalm, I don't have it in the notes, but Psalm 18, verse 37. David says, I pursued my enemies and I overtook them. I pursued my enemies and I overtook them. If you ever seen, you know, those documentaries on... You know, on, war, on you know, World War II, World War I, or, or, the, or the, I know, what's it called? The Civil War the, or the Revolutionary War. You know, the, you know, the, the military, you know, they're fighting against, against each other. And all of a sudden, one of them, you know, decides to retreat. And guess what you don't see them do? When they retreat, the other guy don't go, okay, whew, okay, we're done. They go, no, that's exactly when we go after it. It's when it's put to flight. That's when we begin to chase it down. I pursued my enemies, and I overtook them, David says. And that is part of the zeal that the Lord is talking about. I love how Isaac says it, that the lukewarm spirit produces in us this idea that it's going to take a lukewarm response to resist it. No, it is the exact opposite. It takes a wholehearted response to resist this thing. And by wholehearted response, I don't mean that you're energized and Huffing and puffing, it's just that, no, you have this determination inside of you that says, you know what? From this day forward, for the rest of my days, I'm going to pursue the first commandment and to, for it to be first place in my life. So the way forward to, uh, to overcome this is by having a vision to answer the Lord's invitation with an open heart, to let him in, to fellowship with him, uh, to come to the table, to dine with him, to interact with him. Now, the dining table, there's several things that happens at the dining table, but it's a place where traditionally, like even in the natural, traditionally, a dining table is a place of family. It's a place of identity. It's a place of relating and sharing and remembering. And so that's all that is included and more in this invitation to come and dine. He, he's saying, look, he goes, let's be family. Let's be family. Come and join the family dynamic of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, number one, and enter into the family dynamic by entering into the conversation together with your brothers and sisters, your family members, those that are around you. It's a place of identity. It's a, in other words, it's a place of belonging. It's where we begin to go. You know what? <sighs> I know who I am as one who is loved by God and one who is to give love back to God. It's a place of sharing, where we share our thoughts and what we're thinking and feeling with the Lord, and the Lord shares what He is thinking and feeling with us, and we're th- and we're sharing with one another what we're thinking. And feeling. It's a place of remembrance. I mean, again, so when the Lord says, let's come and dine together, beloved, there are so many implications related to this. Go to paragraph F I'm on page three. Paragraph F. There's an article, and I've got the link right there in the notes. There's an article called Why We Eat Together. It's a great article. But here's what it says it says, the dining table is disappearing. It's talking about in the natural, in the family structure. It says the dining table is disappearing. And it says that few are being sold now, here it is, in rich economies. It, It seems to suggest that the wealthier cities and nations become, the faster pace life becomes, and it makes it more difficult to actually embrace something very basic, That's very fundamental to our humanity, and that's to sit together at the dining table. And I find it a very interesting parallel because it's that same wealth that is found within the Western culture and that fast pace that makes it challenging for us to actually respond to uh, Revelation 3.20. And it is that challenge that Jesus actually calls lukewarmness. Paragraph G. Said so the worship team come up. The, the nature of dining is that it requires planning. It requires preparation. It requires deliberation to be involved in the preparation and the participation of the meal. It takes us slowing down and being intentional. Certain the page over, so I want to bring up one more point. Page four, let's go to um, paragraph E. The the, the zealous and focused turning to the Lord is about staying with doing, uh, I like the phrase that Mike used a couple weeks ago, regular push-ups, just regular push-ups. When we hear a zealous response, you know, some of us immediately want to go, I'm going to do 100 push-ups a day. And you're like, well, you haven't done, a, you haven't done one in the last <laughs> 10. Right. So, so, so here's the crazy thing. Here's, here's the thing that's amazing. We want to do 100 push-ups. We haven't done 10, in a, you know, we haven't done one in the last 10 years. And so we, so we say, okay, I'm going to do one push-up a day here's the thing that's amazing. That one push-up a day means more to the Lord than we can even imagine. Song of Solomon 4.9, here's what it says. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes. In other words, here's how, here's how I define it. The shortest glances, loving phrases of adoration move the heart of God. Just simple phrases. If we were to take, you know, 10, 15 minutes a day, put it on your schedule and you say, you know i want to take these 10, 15 minutes and I'm gonna whisper simple phrases of adoration and inquiry. In other words, we say, Lord, I love you. And the is Lord, would you show me how much you love me? Simple phrases of adoration and inquiry and affection. They move his heart in a very deep, powerful ways. I'll never forget when I discovered this verse and and, and how it changed my thinking. And I went, you mean to tell me that I can drive my car, somebody cut me off, get get all annoyed and get all distracted, get to the stoplight Take a moment and say, I love you, and that moves you. And when I begin to realize that, beloved, what it does in terms of the experience of his presence upon our hearts, and I promise you, you're gonna start finding ways of how to extend that 10, 15 minutes to, to more time. You, your, your one push-ups is gonna turn into five. It's gonna turn to 10. It's gonna turn to 15, and so forth. That stand. You know, when we turn to the Lord, Luke 15, I love this. Luke 15, verse 20. Talk about a prodigal son. He says, He says, and he arose and it came to the Father, but while he was still far off, the Father saw and had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. Beloved, as we turn to the Lord, actually, we set our hearts. Say, you know what? I'm going to set my heart to do the one or two push-ups a day. I'm going to set my heart to do this. It, it moves the heart of the Father in an, in an amazing way. He, he is moved with compassion. He, he runs towards us with great eagerness. He brings us into his, his, into his embrace, and he assures us of his affections for us. Father, we we thank you, Lord, for who you are. Lord, we say yes. Lord, we open up our hearts to you. Will you come in, Lord, to fellowship with us as we fellowship with you? Father, will you increase the revelation, Father, of how deeply you feel about your son. Would you increase, Father, the understanding of how deeply you feel about us, your people. Here at IHOP, in the Church of Kansas City, and the church worldwide, your deep commitment, love, and affections. Lord, would you rejoice over our hearts with song? You who are mighty to save. Would you sing the song of your love deep on the inside as you set us free? We say yes. We say yes, Lord. We say yes to the journey to overcome. We say yes to opening up our hearts to you again. And we say yes to sit with you and to dine with you. Let's just worship the Lord
1: together. Use my heart. Enlarge my heart. Increase, let me contain. Watch my heart, I won't increase them face men speak, oh my if you'd like to
0: receive prayers for anything so I invite you to come to the front by the ministry team, pray for you
1: for healing
0: or if you want to respond to the Lord and someone pray with you
1: search me and know me here's my man